Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Kovacar in quickly. Coyotes turn it over. Byfield to his backhand. Feeds it across. Score! Andre Kovacar on another great setup by Quinton Byfield. You're listening to All the Kings Men the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Here is Spence up the middle for Dubois. Dubois crisscrossing to Calia to Dubois. Who scores? Oh, that's NHL hockey, baby. Great passing. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. At the start of the season, I asked Nick Nixon and Jim Fox to help me take a look at the top 10 questions for the 2023-24 LA Kings season. Earlier this week, Nick and Jim joined me for a quarter season update on those questions. Joining me for our quarter season check-in, ordinarily I'd say 20 games, but technically the time of recording this, the team has only played 19 games. LA Kings play-by-play announcer Nick Nixon. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing great, Jess. What a start. What a start. Keep it going. And LA Kings color commentator Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim? How many games is that? 19. (laughs) <laughs> Do you want me to add figure out the percentage of the season that's uh, completed? Oh, number nineteen, of course. Sorry, I should have. <laughs> I just in my How mind, get- oh. in my mind, you're number four. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're going to go through our top ten questions uh, for the Kings facing the Kings are facing this season. Checking in at the quarter poll. Uh, the first question was, how will the Pacific Division perform? We always ask that because to acknowledge there are things that are out of the Kings. Control in every season. Um, Nick, we'll start with you. At the start of the season, I think most people assumed that the top of the division would include Edmonton. It's still way too early to count them out, but it's a steep hill for them. Yes, it is. Uh, We're getting to the point of the season where unless you put a real good string of games together and uh, you find yourself 12, 14 points out, you have to play almost 700 hockey or better the rest of the way and can any team let alone the Edmonton Oilers can they do that over an extended period of time that's what makes it tough that's why we see all these stories when Thanksgiving hits where teams are that's usually where about they're going to finish I think Edmonton's going to play better but they've dug themselves a pretty good hole now the other side of that is and I'm just looking at the conference standings There is a separation of haves and have-nots. There are six teams that are well over 600, and you play 600 hockey or better, you're going to make the playoffs. But then there's a a marked drop-off. So does that mean Edmonton is like a lot of the other teams that could be seed seven and eight in the conference? And that obviously bodes well for them. So it's still going to be a struggle. I I'm I'm surprised that they're not playing uh, better, but uh, I think we're at the point now where playoffs is uh, up in the air for them. I really do. 
the question then has to be asked, Jim, are they in the position they're in because of the way they're playing or, you know, get just bad string of luck or tough opponents? I mean, can they even are they a good enough team to even put together a season like what Nick's talking mm-hmm. about? I'm I look at two areas. Mm-hmm. The first area is goaltending. And that area with Stuart Skinner recently has been really good. I'm talking like 94% save percentage. So if that writes itself, that eliminates the biggest question mark. The other thing is Connor McDavid is now healthy or he's getting healthier. And believe me, regardless, we can talk about their defensive deficiencies, which are there. The depth that they don't necessarily have because they're top loaded. I mean, the cap. But McDavid was not healthy, and now he is. And I think you're seeing that with, uh, you know, four points a game now, average over the last. So those two things, I think, are boding well for Edmonton. Nick was touching on it. We've all been talking about it. We're all trying to do the math. I know there are thought processes out right now because of Nick was talking about that 90 points will get you in in the West. That's five points lower than the norm. So I think um, to steal a phrase from Jesse Cohen, uh, the sample size is not big enough yet under the circumstances with underperforming goaltending, which has now seemed to be improved and the best player in the world now healthy. The reason I ask about whether or not they're in the position they're in because of how they're playing is because based on all available I don't. I really don't like the word advanced analytics anymore because the terms we're using when we say it are not that advanced. They're, but expected goals and Corsi Edmonton's top four in the league. I mean, yeah. they have played well. They just have not won. Um, the flip side of that equation in the Pacific Division is the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think anybody. They were a question mark for me. I didn't expect them going into the season. Uh, question mark not in the way that like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be any good, but in the way of like, I have no idea what to expect based on the roller coaster last two seasons. Slow starts, changes coach, hot start. Um, but they're off to a hot start. Yeah, and that was a team, if, if we remember, when we had this conversation at the start of the year, was a team that intrigued me mm-hmm. because I felt they had a lot of good pieces. And obviously, uh, the start they've had is, is has been great. And the other day, I think, what are we – almost into December, but mid-November, they had the top three scorers in the NHL Mm -hmm. in Miller, Pedersen, and Quinn Hughes, which uh, hasn't been done in a long, long time. So for whatever reason, the Canucks with basically the same core they've had, uh, they're all having real good first halves. Um, It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. Demko's healthy. He's playing well. He's in the top. 10 in almost all the goaltending categories. So, yeah, it's a team that uh, I guess you could say my expectations were higher for them and they've, 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 uh, they've rewarded me for my expectations. I think in our conversation at the beginning of the year, I mentioned one name which I felt was the difference, and I think that was a full season of Rick Tockett. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they would be playing with more structure. I knew that because of him. I know him. We know him. We've been around him. We know his character. We know the feeling he brings to a team. And, uh, you know, every coach is considered to be a leader at some point. And I think Rick fits that to a T where his, he's going he's gonna to determine uh, the atmosphere surrounding a team. 
so I'm not surprised either. I think I mentioned that I think they were going to be stabilized by Rick Tockett. Uh, the one person that does jump out to me is Quinn Hughes. I know he's always been a point producer. I've seen him in a couple of games so far this year where I think there is an extra level that he's got to as far as intensity in his game. Meaning when he makes a spinorama at the top of the point, you know, when he, he darts to the net, he takes it to the net. I've seen him chase down defensively guys where, man, he's going as fast as he possibly can. And I think we saw the skill to his game, but I think he's up to the notch. And at the time of this recording, tied for second in scoring in the NHL. So, yeah, again, it's not bad. I'd still take McCarr, mm-hmm. but Quinn, only Quinn a point right behind there. him in point yeah. production. He'd be right there. <laughs> Some of the games I've seen in Vancouver, their power play has been oh, fabulous. Yeah. The way they move it around quickly, and that's the quarterback is Quinn Hughes, obviously, with, with Besser in front scoring all the goals, and he's off to a great start. And he's he's at or near the top in goals in the NHL, and he's not among those top three I mentioned that were leading the league together. So, yeah, a lot of pieces are coming together there. The, the one, again, I'll bring up, I said Quinn Hughes was the one. Another element that has changed for me, uh, Mr. Pertuschen. Uh Again, Rick Tockets, he's become a more physical player. Mm. Uh, I know back at the beginning of the season, they were showing his hits as opposed to his numbers and yet he was still top three in the league so he is now taking it to another level with Quinn Hughes the level he's gone to I think it was the same part of the game he used to bring I think with Peterson he has now added an element to his game want to really quickly touch on the concept you introduced Jim the idea that 90 was it 90 or 92 90 is what 90. I, I heard a discussion again okay. I don't follow it that closely I've never sat down and done the right. but uh, a group of people were talking, and they came up with 90. But with between 19 and 22 games having been played by, I think, every team in the division, um, the seventh spot, the first wild card spot, has a point percentage. Actually, you know what? Let me not look at points. I'll just look at point percentage. The second wild card spot and the first spot out of a playoff spot are tied at 500. 500. So 82, 82. 82 points. Yeah. I mean, could it dip? I mean, obviously, uh, it's not going to be that low, no. but. I agree. I, Interesting. Though, I, right? I think yeah. le- you need at least 90. Yeah. yeah. The number that I watch all year long is goal differential. And at least for right now, it's pretty straightforward. There's eight teams with a positive goal differential and eight teams with a negative goal differential. So it'll probably work its way out somewhere close to that. Moving on to actually talk about our LA Kings. Kings. Because it's the Kings podcast. Hmm. Uh, we can, I think, probably brush through this one fairly quickly. The question was, how will the salary cap impact the season? We delayed the posting, the publishing of our first ten top ten questions because we didn't know what was happening with Arvidsson. Now we do. He's on LTIR, and that at least temporarily solved the salary cap problem. It may rear its head later in the season, but for now, it hasn't. And aside from a couple players banged up and bruised, uh, we haven't seen Blake Lazat for three games, but uh, it looks like he'll be back sooner than later. Pretty healthy team. Um, the blue line's been healthy. The, the two goalies have been healthy. Your your top three lines have been healthy. Can that sustain itself all season? They're, they're going to have injuries. We know that. Uh, every team has it. Uh, and they'll have to deal with that again because of the cap issue. Right now. Even with Victor on yeah. LTIR. Right now, as we sit here, as, uh, as far as I'm aware, Toby is 
not injured as seriously as it might have happened down in Ontario, but he is still not available. Uh, so if Victor does come back, you're back to Jordan Spence being able to be sent down without having to clear waivers. Now, in the preseason uh, situation, it was Bjornfoot that was going to stay here and Spence down. That may be affected, uh, but we still don't expect Victor for, what, at least another month, probably six weeks. I, I would expect longer than yeah, that. So, yeah, so it's going to take a while, but it does bring you to the standpoint of you've got to protect your roster, your overall roster, and right now, Jordan Spence Stoley mentioned a thing on the broadcast the other day in the pregame show where pass success rate. So when a player achieves what he's trying to achieve with a pass, it connects and is received. Jordan Spence is number one in the league. I think he's top five and expects goal share too. So, like he's, which is, but you're talking yeah. about England brings something that is not as high, but he, he it's an element that has to stay here again if everything is healthy. So, Jordan, if there is an element that is going to be affected, it's going to be Jordan Spence. And that's where the GMs are in their money, right? Yeah, because absolutely. I'm sure I'm sure between now and Victor coming back and they're doing all the calculations, what do we do with the roster? And we can only carry 21, not 23. I'm, I'm sure they're looking into possible trades uh, involving – not Spence, but maybe Bjornfoot. Maybe there's yeah. a deal out there because you don't want to lose a player for nothing. We all know that. But uh, every month you go and the way Spence is trending, I mean, he's got to be on your team, right? He's got to be yeah. on your team. I think, Nick, you don't want to lose a player for nothing when he's 21 years old. Exactly, yeah. And that's You know, if he's 31 years old, Okay, maybe it's at the end and you're okay. You're, you're maybe you're getting rid of a contract. Someone else is picking him up for experience going into a playoffs. Okay, but and there's probably I know the jury's still out on on Toby, uh, but he's still too young to to and a first round draft pick. I mean, this yeah. isn't you know one real odd detail about his injury. He was on a conditioning loan, mm -hmm. which came with a 14 day window. But because it was a conditioning loan, not an LTIR conditioning loan, his cap hit was still counting uh -huh. against the King's cap hit. So he was recalled because of the injury so that his conditioning loan can be resumed once he's no longer injured. But because he's not LTIR, so his salary cap never left the books despite the injury, despite the conditioning. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a lot to keep track of. Um, moving on to the next one. Uh, who will lead the Kings in scoring? At the moment, we have a two-way tie. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday the 28th. Adrian Kempe and Kevin Fiala presently tied. Jim, who's going to lead the team in scoring? We'll, well go with points, not goals. Yeah. Um, uh, Trevor Moore. Well, <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. it's not that crazy. No. Um, <laughs> You've got four of the top four within what? Two points? Yeah. So Three Kempe points? and Fiala have 20 points more and Kopitar have 19. Yeah. It's just... I have to answer with what I've seen. And who is a point producer? Kevin Fiala is a point producer. Does that mean he's your best player? Maybe, maybe not. I think you can make a pretty good argument that there's other players that do more on the whole. But if you're talking about production, Mr. Fiala. 
I'm going to stick with the guy who got us here. <laughs> nice. Andre Kopitar. Until someone dislodges him. Man. Yeah, I mean, he's only a point out. It's, it's on a 40-goal pace. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. No. Yeah, and there's a question. Uh, his goal production is up. Uh, I don't want to say his playmaking is down. His playmaking is always good. But is it because he's shooting more on the power play? Uh, I'm going to put a pin without... in this one because okay. I want to bring it up later. Okay. We're okay. definitely going to okay. come around to it. Fair enough. Zip. All right. This next one is, uh, will Pierre-Luc Dubois be the player he was acquired to be? Now, we talked to Todd McClellan this morning. He was asked about, you know, now that you've had 20 games with him, do you know him better? It's going to take a while, obviously, for any new player. But this team is also, we talked to Gavrikov and Roy this morning, and Gavrikov confirmed all the talk we hear about the structure of the team, the different vocabulary, the the specifics. It's true. It's real. It is a lot to absorb when you join a new team. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort, Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Are we going to see more from Pierre-Luc Dubois over the last 60 games of the season? It's, again, the way with the Kings are now, I know there's a lot, and we have to, right? We being media, we mm-hmm. fans, we're looking for the guys that are underperforming. They're in first place, basically. No, 100%. They're, they're 100%. scoring. You know, so there's only a certain amount of goals that a team's going to score in a year. So Deneau's going to go down and Kopitar's going to go up or vice versa. Or But that's why the phrase is, will he be the player he was acquired to be? Because if he is, and if your argument is, is right, and I think there's certainly an argument to be made that it is, which is the team's in first place. We got him to have depth, strength of centers down the lineup. We, I think team's in first place. Picked so up. Tied for first yeah. To be, well, yes, because of Vegas mm-hmm. and their depth down the middle, division rival Edmonton with Dreisaitl and McDavid, the Kings picked up Pierre Dubois to strengthen that one position. So just because that's where he plays, it's already stronger. What we're seeing now is, and we can always go, he wasn't in possession of the puck enough to be effective when he was playing with Kevin Fiala. Because guess what? There's only one puck out there, Mm -hmm. and Kevin has it all the time. Now, I can count 
multiple times a game where Dubois has speed through the neutral zone, enters the zone, backs guy, where before he was waiting to see what Kevin was going to do with it. By splitting them up, have made both players better and certainly has made the team better. But I think Dubois is there. Dubois, to me, was picked up, this is my, to be a almost a shutdown centerman in a playoff series. That, yeah, that's interesting because you acquire Dubois and then they sign him to an eight-year deal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Andre's not going to be around towards the end of that deal. Do they expect him to fill Andre Kopitar's shoes in the big picture? The here and now is exactly what Jim said. Okay, we've got a team that's pretty good. We can compete. And down the middle, who's stronger than L.A. with Kopitar, Deneau, and now P.L. Dubois? So is his role going to change in the future? And if it does, are the expectations for him going to change regarding producing more offense? But I think think you can make the point that if it works out in the short term now for what his role is and you win another cup, to me, it really doesn't matter. What the, <laughs> it's like, hey, you won the cup. I mean, we're good for five, six years, right, yep. guys? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Nope. I mean, if 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 what he's doing now works and the Kings become a very successful playoff team, even though they don't win a cup, but they you know go deep into the playoffs this year, maybe next year and the year after, who knows? Then you worry about the tail end of his his contract and what you expect from him. But I think right now the expectations are to to make the team deeper and tougher to play against. PL, don't worry about getting yeah. 40 goals, 80 points. Let's worry about our team being a lot better now, which it is. He is not right now. He, he's not producing at an $8 million a year thing. The moment that Andre Kopitar retires, he'll be expected yes. yeah. to and, and he'll produce be, at that level. And, and, and not, that means that means 80 points. Yeah. That means, you know, point a game. And nothing against the wingers he's been with. I mean, they've all mm-hmm. contributed. But if Dubois is playing with Kempe and Trevor Moore or Kempe and Byfield, are his numbers going to go up? If if he's playing with that type of offensive talent you would think his numbers have to go up. So There's uh, one of Aesop's fables that I'm particularly fond of, and I used to just post an etching My of... My cousin uh, was in one of those. Really? Yeah, the fox and something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's the dog in his reflection. And there's a dog carrying a bone or piece of meat over a bridge. He sees his reflection in the water. He wants the other bone. So he barks at what he thinks is the different dog and loses his bone. That to me is every dumb dog. Yes. Well, <laughs> it happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, but that to me is the conversation about should the Kings change this? Should the Kings improve that? Should this player be, be performing better? They're, I, I want to correct myself earlier when I said they're in first place. They're in first place based on points percentage, not right. points. But yes, Jim. I just, we're right now and we have to, we all talked about this before we came mm-hmm. in here. There's no better timing for us to do this. Yes, true. Right now, yeah, true. The way the team has been playing. Todd says it very well. Right now, because of the way things have gone, there's less less fixing needing to be done. 
and more adding to your team. You can add different elements. You can look at certain moments of games, try a player here that maybe you wouldn't do if you were 7-7-7, seven, seven, and seven. Uh, you know, that type of thing. So they're able to do that. Again, the last couple of opens to our broadcast, our simulcast, I've been trying <laughs> to say, uh, I think, and it's a new category, the Kings have earned the right to be in this category. And the category is, at the beginning of the year, they're playing Colorado, Vegas, and Boston. How do the Kings measure up against those teams? Now I think the category the Kings are in, how do the Kings match up against themselves? How do they're measuring them? The stick is now themselves. And how can they get better? How can they make sure? Believe me, I bet you Todd already has, just because of the way the record is, it's probably in the back of his mind. What are we going to need in a playoff series against this team? Well, let's practice that now. Let's put a player in that circumstance. So when it does happen, he's already been there. So tying that into the notion of will Pierre-Luc Dubois be the player he was acquired to be, what I, the way I've been saying it is that this version of the Kings that we're seeing right now is the sort of perfect version of what we were promised in the offseason. It's depth. It's waves. You know, they don't have to worry about matching lines. We've heard, you know, defense or offense. Um, so in that regard, Pierre-Luc Dubois has provided, at least partially, that depth, that stability. I mean, it's it's everything's working right now. No issues with this game. Yeah. I have no issues with this game. All right. So we're now we're going to go back to that conversation about Kopitar. Okay. Because the next question is, will Quentin Byfield have a breakout year? And I was speaking to someone, apologies, I don't remember who, but they were talking about Andre Kopitar. And they said, I can't figure it out. He looks younger. He looks more energized. He looks like he's got more space, more time. You know, what's going on? And I said, I'll tell you what's going on. It's Quentin Byfield. <laughs> like, he's incredible. 7-10, okay, 7-10. You play 10 games, you have really good games, seven mm -hmm. of the 10 games. And that's where Quentin Byfield, to me, is at right now. The superstars, it's 9 or 10 out mm -hmm. of 10. Mm -hmm. But if you can get, you're not going to get it every night from every player. 70% of the time, they're on their game and doing what you expect them to do. You're in good shape. And that's where I see Byfield right now. He's taken it to, a, to another level in so many different areas, save for finishing, which is a work in progress. I mean, we can't expect yeah. 12 things to improve at I once. think he's on pace for like 15 or 16. Yeah, it's, it's fine. But that's what I'm seeing in Byfield. I'm seeing him be a factor more games than not, which is very, very encouraging. He's only 21. Yep. Mm -hmm. Biggest thing I've seen is his improvement and how to create and accept contact, how to go into a hit and how to prepare yourself when you are being hit. And I think his strength position is much more different than it was when he first came into the league. And now that is turning to an analytical element of puck battle wins. And it's interesting because I asked him at practice today, I said, if there was one area of your game you could point to that you feel you've really improved. He he thought for a good 30, 40 seconds, and he said, in on the four check, using my stick better. Ah, nice. So maybe this is something we can watch for because he's a big body. And I know, Jim, you've talked about it. In juniors, he's so big, he doesn't have to worry about battles along the boards because he's that much stronger and bigger than 
all these other 16 and 17 year old kids out there. But that was interesting because it, it took them a while. But, uh, you know, these are little subtleties to the game that, you know, a lot of us just don't pick up on. But I'm going to be watching it now. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I know that's what they teach. They teach stick on puck to take away time and space. But then while you're doing that, you're extending yourself. That's not a strength position. He's learning how to reach with that stick in a stronger position. Philippe Deneau probably does it as well as anyone, where he's strong on his stick. And he gets in, he gets low. And that, I've noticed Quinton going down more, excuse me, getting into a lower skating posture where that's more power. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so then he's winning those battles. And then the other, I asked him the other day, I said, are you putting a lot of value on just front net presence? Because I think he's getting there more. He is, well, he scored a couple of goals, one on a rebound, at least two on a rebound, one on a deflection the other night in Anaheim where he's in the front. Kevin Fiala's first goal of the game there, that power play goal, was because he was screening John Gibson. So he's he's now in those areas where, you know, he maybe he was 100 miles an hour before and he was helter-skelter. Now he's 100 miles an hour and he has purpose and he has a plan. I think before it was just go, 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 go. Now it's, okay, when I get there, this is what I'm going to do. When I get it, this is who I'm going to set up. And he's probably figuring out that when I get there, there's not a lot that many players can do about it because of his size and strength. No question. <laughs> and, you know, as he pl- he's if played... If used correctly. He did not have proper technique yes. when he came into the yeah. league. And, you know, he hasn't played 150 games yet in the NHL, has yeah. he? Uh, I, I think he's over 100, but yeah, I mean, just... 118. Okay. It's not, that's season and a half, right? Yeah. And figuring out things is what it's all about and, and making the adjustments like Jim said, but maybe he's saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, Hey, I'm not going to get beat up because I'm bigger and stronger than 90% of the players around there. Kopitar is how we got into this, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, he, his role on the power play is no longer to be the half board guy and just stand there and wait, wait, wait. We know we figured that out a year ago. Right. And they changed that. And now he's in a different position. I've seen him work on his one-time shot. He scored two goals this year on one-time shots, which I don't know if he's ever done that before. And I think there's also a, there's a continuing maturity to Adrian Kempe's game. And I think Andre is just finding himself in a position where he's a shooter, more so, as opposed to shooting more. Yeah. Does that no. work? I mean, and so they switched Dubois and Byfield on the power play units. And I asked Quentin Byfield, uh, if it was helpful to be on a power play unit with two guys you skate with five on five, uh-huh. does that chemistry help the transition? And he basically said, listen, I know what my job is. It's to go in the corners. It's to dig out loose pucks. It's to get it to Kempe and Kopitar. Kempe and Kopitar are scoring a ton of goals this season. I just, I can't believe with the talk about the board battles and everything. He's He is capable of playing a power forward game. Um, you guys are going to have to help me fill in the names. My dad always used to talk about Phil Esposito and his line mates. Hodge, Kenny Hodge, Hodge, Wayne Cashman, Cashman, Cashman and Hodge. Yep. And he would always say the two of them would just go to the corners, dig the pucks out, give it to Esposito who'd bang it home. I've heard that story a thousand times. Sorry, <clears throat> dad. Um, but if Quentin Byfield can play that kind of game and also play the kind of game where he's knocking pucks out of midair, going 10 and two, pulling two defenders his to him and skill, doing backhand passes his, to Kopitar. His like. skill is it's for a man, his size. 
his footwork and then his ability to not, while his feet are going a million miles an hour and 10 and 2 and reverse this and leaning here and edge work, his hands are not affected. There's a lot of players, because of the way they skate, they inhibit themselves from making one-on-one moves with their hands. I think Quentin's able to have his feet and hands work separate from each other, but still accomplishing the same thing, which is high-skilled moves. What, what's his com- once is comparable? Like, what, who's a player that listeners to this podcast might be familiar with that we can say, oh, he looks a little bit like? His skating speed and the quickness and agility for a man his size puts him in a category that's very unique. So, you know, Lindros was a point producer, certainly more of a powerful player Mm -hmm. than Quinton is at this point. But what happens if Quinton gets another seven or eight pounds on that body? You know, and, you know, I think Lindros was the first, was it the first big man? Mario, certainly. Mm -hmm. But I just think quickness. Quinton's in a pretty... That's, that's he would a very have that. He would, have, he would have that over Lindros, wouldn't he? Yeah, quickness for quickness, sure. Yeah. I think he has it yeah. over. To, like, he's not McDavid, right? right. But he's yeah. he's it's he's in the category below that. Yeah, and and, and well, that's why he was second overall, right? right? Yeah, they they saw all of these uh, attributes. Mm-hmm. Now we put together what McDavid does, and we've talked. And I know it's it's because he's able to create at that speed, right? Where other players can skate at that speed, but can't create at that speed. Next question we're going to exclude Byfield from because it's how will younger players capitalize on the opportunities given to them? And I was struck this past week or so looking at the roster and going, Mikey Anderson, 2017, Jordan Spence, 2019, Arthur Callie of 2019, Alex LaFerriere, 2021, 2020, I don't remember, but recent. Um, yes, there's Kopitar. Yes, there's Dowdy. Yes, there's Trevor Lewis again. Um, Kempe and Roy are that sort of middle age. But like, there's there are young players contributing to this team, and we talked a little bit about Jordan Spence earlier. They are making the most of their opportunities. If it continues, and I think that you know the guy who has the finger on the pulse is the coach. You know, every coach tells you nowadays you've got to get better from within, and the Kings have. Trevor Moore is getting to a stature now. If he can do this through 40 games, then you're getting into a top six player. You know, when before it was, okay, you know, he's he's on Deneau's line along with Arvidsson and he's top six on the Kings. But I'm talking about league. Yeah, if he scores 40 goals. You know, if he, you know, if he keeps going on this type of thing. Now, uh, so the Kings have gotten better from within. Kaliev, I think, is... It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. I don't know about his production. All I know, I watch him and I feel much better about him 
He's not hurting me. When he's not playing well, he's not hurting me. I think before, as a young player, when he wasn't playing well, he was hurting the team. He just he wasn't getting things done. He was a little risky. He was not battling. The pucks were being taken the other way. Uh, so there's two guys. And then Laferriere, to me, it continues to just to impress. Uh, you know, and I've talked to, I talked to DJ, uh, Derek Johnson, our assistant coach now, promoted this year, who handles a lot of this on-ice skill work. Because I watch Alex Laferriere after practice. And I see him doing these in tight drills and coming out of the corner and his hands. I'm going, holy jeez, he's a good. So I said to DJ, am I seeing what I'm seeing here? And he said, yes. He said, elite hands. So three years from now, is he your top right winger? You know, is he your, you know that's the progression you go through. And uh, so those are some young players. The Kings have gotten better with the additions of Arvidsson, Deneau, you know, going back that way, then you add Fiala, Fiala. then you add Gavrikov, Dubois. Dubois. So, so they've added now, but they're also getting better from within. Carl Grundstrom, Trevor Moore, guys added in trades who came here and are certainly playing a different role than when they first got here. And, and a big difference, you go back a couple of years ago in the Kings, I think it was that 56-game season, uh, very disappointing season. Uh, a lot of young players had to play. Uh, and then we just mentioned some of the veterans they've acquired since since that season. But now the young players on this team are in a position where they don't have to be the player. They can develop at their own pace. And as long as they're trending in the right direction, you can give them ice time. Whereas two, three years ago, they were they were expected to help the team win every night. And that's too much to put on a group of young players. But the mix is good now. And the Spences, uh, Grunstrom, who's, gosh, mm-hmm. who's close to 25 already, um, you know, th- these types of, of players are, are you know, LaFerriere. I think the one game he sat out seems to have done wonders wow. for him. He has been mm-hmm. – he has played since he sat out the way he played the first six games of his NHL career before he started to dip. So, you know – they're in a position, the young kids the Kings have on their roster, where they don't have to, they probably don't feel like they have to, and the team doesn't expect them to carry the load. And I think that's, I think that's key for the development of young players that are in the league. And just when you're, we're talking, I, it comes up, and I don't think it's on our list here, because, but the intangible right now to me is the schedule. Mm-hmm. There was a point as, as <clears throat> only like 10 days ago where the Kings had the second toughest schedule in the league as far as opponents winning percentage. But the ease of games and how many games that's that's the Kings are taking that they're taking advantage of it. And maybe in a couple of years ago we'd say oh, they oh this is a great segment of the schedule and they would not they would lose they, they're taking they're they're the fresh team right for most games now, and we know that will catch up with you, but full marks. They're they're playing the schedule the NHL gave them, and they're winning games. I want to add one real quick thing about Kaliev. He's on pace for 19 goals, so this is not a criticism. This is a compliment. I have seen more strong defensive plays from Kaliev than I have goals. He's got four goals. 
I think I've seen five or six plays where he comes back, lifts a stick, steals a puck off a guy, gets in a shooting lane, does something really unexpected and impactful on the defensive side of the puck where I'm like, holy smokes, that was Arthur Kaliev. So It takes a while sometimes, yeah. and Nick was just touching on it, where you understand what your expectations are. Because, you know, he came out of junior, he expects to score 40 goals in his mm-hmm. first year in the NHL. He does. I know. I did it. And it didn't happen to me, and it didn't happen to him either. But then you get into a, a slot where you have comfort and the coaching staff has comfort with you. And I think, I think Arthur's there right now. Again, we're talking about, if you're talking about 19 goals, for his ice time and his positioning, that would be a fourth-line player getting 19 goals. I'll be on that team any day. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about, Jesse, uh, just reinforces what the coaches are looking for from any player, and that's, can I trust him mm-hmm. in this situation? And the and we all know the more well-rounded you are as a player, the more trust you're going to earn from from your coaches. Well, so, and Todd McClellan has banged the drum repeatedly. You guys have heard him say it. Production comes from playing the right yes. way. Yes. It's yeah. not going to come from yeah. the and, and And the production – not individually, mm-hmm. is there for the team. Yep. They're, they're averaging, what, four goals a game. They're giving up two a game, and they've got one of the best records in the NHL. So <laughs> there's, I measure at this stage of my career in broadcasting, I measure how the team is doing by my angst. <laughs> and Not having any? <laughs> well, is, when, is when it- Kevin Fiala's on the ice, I do still. <laughs> but... There is a switch that I'm hoping will take place. Mm-hmm. And, Nick, we weren't working together last year at this point, but I think game five or game six of the playoffs, I said, you know what? we got to start making the Edmonton Oilers worry about us. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not yeah. always just worry about them, worry about them, worry about them. And I think the group, and part of that is a riskier game. You know what I mean? When, when you make the other team worry about you, it's because you're attacking. You're going yeah. after them. Well, there, there is a balance there. And I think the Kings, just as a group now, are getting to that stage where, and I was just talking about it, the, the, their measuring stick is themselves right now. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think they're getting to that stage. If things can continue, man, I, and we, it's just going so well now. I mean, it's... I, I go back to the 2012 playoffs. No, I mean, boy. <laughs> after, a, after a while... No, I'm nervous. You know, <laughs> it, you, you, you think you can win. You hope you can win. You know you can win. You expect to win. Right. And I don't think it's going to get to that. I hope it does, but it's almost like the way the team is playing now, you expect them to win when yep. they hit the ice, the way that, because, you know, you can break down individual analytics, team analytics, the records that, that and they're in the top in, in everything, everything across right the board, I, across I could, the board. Nick, so I, I'm going to compare two champion teams. I think 12 did not beat themselves. Right. And I think 14 can go and beat you. Yeah. And I think that's different. They won in different ways. Yeah. So I'm going to use some of those stat lines to help us transition into the next topic. I know that this – everybody – whenever I try and do this, somebody says I can't. I can. I'm doing it. I'm getting rid of the first two games do of it, the Jess, season. Do it, Jess. Do it. I will. The first two games of the season are – So we're only playing 80 games this year. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. But if you remove the two games where Arthur Callio was suspended and their, the salary cap was looming and they were tinkering with their lines and they weren't comfortable, 4.06 goals a game since then. 2.06 goals against since then. And again, Unheard of. Uh, both tops in the league or bottom, depending yeah, on yeah, how yeah, you yeah. want to do it. 
Um, penalty kill tied for first, 89.8, tied with Columbus. Um, but, of course, the net PK, which takes into account shorthanded goals, 96.6. Um, the qu- next question was, will the power play remote- remain potent? And the reason I'm using this to get into that is that the LA Kings are currently 16th in the league in power yeah, play. Yeah, it's average, right? But average. it's 20%. Yeah, it's average. And as I have repeatedly said about very, you know, when you rank things, whether it's by percentage or by whatever, there are some things that you just – it shouldn't matter where you rank. And to me, power play has always been one of them because you have zero control over the other 31 teams in the league and how their power play is clicking compared to yours. So measure your power play against what you want it to be not against what everyone else is doing. The fact that, you know, the New Jersey Devils have a power play of 37% shouldn't have a ton of impact on how you feel about your power play. And so we'll start with you, Jim. Will the Kings power play remain potent? I feel like it potent may not be the right word, but reliable. I think it's going to finish higher than 16th. Yeah. I think it's going to get to a point. I just, I'm basing this 100% on how much time they're spending in practice on it. Right. Todd McClellan has allotted more. Now, last year, when it got on the roll, they probably, but they were last year too. Morning skates, they would practice. When they had a morning skate, it was power play, was part of that practice every time. And then he'd sprinkle in a few in the regular practices. Now, the regular practices, I'm seeing 40%. Now, you could argue they're working on the penalty kill at the same time, but most times you're working on the power play. And I think, uh, if they keep allotting that much time to it, I just think it's going to get better. How many teams have two power play units that are as effective as the Kings? I, I don't think there are many. Mm-hmm. And there are adjustments. The big uh, deletions on the power play have been the right shots, yeah. right? Arvidsson on one unit. You had Velarde a right shot on the other last year. So does it take time? If, if they figure they're going to go the whole season without that right shot – then you've got to do some adjusting, which is why a guy like Kopitar probably is shooting more or one-timing more. Uh, but just the the capability to have two units that are both dangerous, I think bodes well in the big picture. So that's why I'm not concerned either. At the beginning of the season, I said, if everything goes right, not right, left, right, but if everything goes correctly, if everything goes the way you would like it to, this team is a contender with the caveat that no team has ever had a season where everything went correctly, right? Things happen. Players get hurt. Coaches get fired. Whatever it is, stuff happens. The Kings power play, that those deletions, like you said, the fact that they don't have a reliable playmaking right shooting forward to occupy the spot that Victor Arvidsson and Gabe Velarde did last year is one of those things that hasn't gone right. And yet the power play has not fallen off a cliff. It's not yeah. as dominant as it was last and season. And five but on five's been better. So, yeah. so which would you which would you rather have? Hundred percent. And you know, f- so. two seasons ago, uh, I believe it was two seasons ago when they lost to Edmonton in seven. I think even the coaching staff admitted that there were games where the power play was hurting the team. They weren't scoring, and they were giving momentum back to the opponent. That is not happening no. this year. I mean, it, I suppose there have been a couple of shifts that John McClellan has talked about, but generally yeah. speaking. Not happened. I look at again. Yeah, it was brought up. It was not mine. Just and coaches and Todd's talked to us about it before. But we, we always we always seem to talk. Even though we have right now the number one penalty kill in the league, we always talk about the power play. 
The way it was explained to me was this, and it might have been Craig Button who said, I, or at least I heard him talking about it, and it's when your power play does not do well, the score doesn't change. When the penalty kill does not do well, the score changes. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. That's true. So talking about the penalty kill, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit for our listeners. I sent Nick and Jim an email with the 10 questions. I laid out some talking points that I wanted to touch on and some you know little details and encouraged them to, to bring their own. But uh, for will the penalty kill improve, I simply wrote two words, boy, howdy, which is not generally speaking an expression that I use. But the penalty kill is, I mean, not just improved. It's a quantum leap in performance from the penalty kill, Jim. Sample size? Sure. Still, still. But, the, the, okay, where did it change? First of all, completely revamped their system. Mm-hmm. So they changed the X's and O's. And personnel really hasn't changed that much, except for? Goalies. Cam Talbot. So there you go. So there's last year, our numbers were awful. And when you look and broke it down, uh, you know, the high danger chances that you're going to allow in a penalty kill situation, our save percentage was awful. Now it's, you know, there's no categories where Cam isn't near the top of the league <laughs> right. right now. He just, and so, but I, I, another general thing that impresses me so far with this group is when I watch practice, and then I watch the game the next day, and I see the things they were working on in practice executed in the game. And I know that has to be rewarding for coaching staff. Certainly the players, you start understanding and believing in your role, and you go out and you execute. I'm seeing that, and that's part of the penalty kill. They've, they've spent time on it. They've changed it. They worked on it, and now they're bringing it into games, and that's rewarding. Yeah, two things come to mind with the penalty kill, the goaltending, uh, making saves. Uh, as Jim mentioned, the save percentage when the Kings were shorthanded was at or near the bottom all season last year. And the other is the addition of a guy like Trevor Lewis and the emergence of Blake Lazat. I mean, how many games this year when Blake's been healthy, he's missed the last couple, have they started the penalty kill with Lazat and Lewis? Uh, many times it's been Kopitar and Kempe, so Kopitar can win that first face-off and get the thing out of the zone. But uh, I think, I mean, the pairs you now have up front killing the penalty and the improved goaltending, it's huge, been huge. Just going to, and hopefully it continues. But, and Nick just touched on it, why does Andre have 10 goals? Less time on the penalty kills part of it. Well, because he doesn't have to expend energy as much Mm -hmm. in defending situations, which opens him up for expending energy in offensive situations. And Todd mentioned that the first couple of years he was with the team. This is, what, his fifth year. Uh, You know, he would get asked the question, well, why does Kopitar kill somebody? Well, he wins the faceoffs. Somebody win a faceoff. And again, a few years ago, he was strapped with younger forwards, younger centers. I'm going to just throw out, off the top of my head, Velarde and, and Rasmus Kapari. Yep. But they weren't great in the face-off circle, so you can't Even put Blake, them out there. Blake yes. Lazat, and he's improved. He's, he's got – he's up near 50%, yeah, so which improved. is an improvement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. There was a moment a week or two – before Blake Lazat got hurt, Jim, where all of the conversations in post-games and post-practices and morning skates with Todd McClellan was about the fourth line. And the topic of the penalty kill came up. And if I remember correctly, he singled out Lewis and Lazat 
as being really committed to the penalty. I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but he talked about their, you know, commitment to the penalty kill. And obviously we know Trevor Moore and Phil Deneau have that. Um, their money. Yes. Without, yes, talking about that. Um, but it was that he also introduced a couple of years ago the idea of captains of a line. You know, and he said Blake Lazat was the captain of the Cali of Lemieux and, Lizotte, and uh, Lazat line. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I have not had a chance to ask this question because now the sort of topic has shifted as a group. But I wanted to ask him, like, do you have penalty-killing captains? Like, are Trevor Lewis and Blake Lazat the captains of the penalty kill? Trevor Lewis is. Yeah. Yeah. I think Todd's mentioned that. He's a guy that everyone can look at because at this stage of his career, which has never really changed, honestly, Trevor Lewis takes pride in that. He comes to the rink. His first thought is not scoring. His first thought is getting a stick on the puck in a penalty kill situation. That's He wants to do that. Now, the area we've known, now that coaches want to play four lines. I want to roll five lines. We were gonna, well, Todd is. And the, the number one way I see that this year is out of TV timeouts. Many times it'll be the Lazat line when Blake is healthy out of a teammate. T- when you have everyone on your bench is rested because you've had a 90 seconds to just get everyone capture. Boom, he goes with that line and that, that sends a message. We were just talking with Drew Doughty and he said the most consistent line on the team, he as a defender, as a defenseman in front of him has been that fourth unit. The other uh, part of the penalty kill that we already talked about was goaltending. That's going to help us transition into our second to last question, which is how will goaltending impact the season? It's obviously been very good. So I want to dig into a nuanced question about the goaltending. All of Cam Talbot's save percentage numbers are very good. But also, the team is not allowing a number of high danger chances. Their expected goals against is very low. Their Corsi is very low. Their shot against is very low. So is it a spectacular performance by a pair of goaltenders? Two goaltenders benefiting from spectacular play by the team in front of them? Or a little from column A, a little from column B? I would say to this point the goaltending has not been spectacular. Where at the end of the game you can say he won the game for us. Although... In recent performances, maybe yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say that because recent performances, I'm going back to 15 of the last of the first 19 games where we've lost one game in regulation. The goaltending has been very solid. Uh, you know, Cam Talbot's played the, the most, so I'm going to focus just on Talbot. But uh, he's making the saves you need a goaltender to make night after night, to give you a chance to win. And the fact that the Kings are one of the highest-scoring teams in the NHL takes a lot of the heat off the goaltender where he can just go out there and play. I mean, I think I think we don't realize, you know, in a, in a two-to-one game, there's a lot of pressure on a goaltender on both sides. But when your team's going out there and scoring four or five goals like the Kings have, they how many games have they won four-to-one, five-to-one already this year? I mean, six or seven. I mean, uh, 
the the offense is I don't want to say mask a lot of deficiencies because because I'm not seeing a lot of deficiencies, but the goaltending has been been very good, been very good. If you not spectacular, it's been very good. If you take the numbers, mm-hmm. the rankings, the percentages, just both through every goaltending category, Cam Talbot's numbers this year are vastly improved. From Phoenix Copley's numbers last year, when Phoenix was what twenty six five and yeah. outstanding wins, but his numbers were not great. Cam's numbers are great right now, so I think the goaltending has been substantially better. Not wins and losses. Phoenix Copley will be in a tough position for the rest of his career because he want he saved our season last year with wins and losses. But he did it with numbers that were subpar when you dug deep into the numbers. I, I just feel like this team was built or, or expected, I should say, by me, not by anybody else. When I looked at how the team was constructed heading into the season and I looked at the fact that, oh, they're spending – of 32 teams, they're spending the least amount of money on goaltending. And Phoenix Copley was an insurance policy that paid off last season. Cam Talbot is a bit of a reclamation product. You know, all the stuff that we all said. And I looked at the team and I said, okay, depth up and down. They're going to try and overwhelm with offense. They're going to try and, you know, be able to handle anything they can up and down the middle. They are going to try and prevent the biggest question mark on the roster from going the wrong way. They haven't had to because, you know, even in that game against Montreal where Phoenix Copley got the shutout, sure, he didn't have to win that game for them, but he made a couple you know what? important saves. I want to applaud Phoenix Copley. Mm-hmm. because he struggled early in the season. He was just off on his footwork. And, you know, the post-to-post moves and getting your, your skate inside the post and pushing off, coming across, wraparound goal scored by uh, Crosby and Rust against Pittsburgh. And, and he, you know, so he went to work. Because of the schedule, Cam was able to play all these games in a row. And Mike Buckley was able to go on the ice and work with Phoenix. And his last two games, I'm looking at his footwork. And it is calm. It is purposeful, and the post-to-post move is vastly improved. He's getting across by jamming the one skate on the inside of the post and pushing across and getting over in one piece. When you get over in one piece, there's less holes. When you shuffle across, there's a whole bunch of holes opening up between your legs, your arms are moving. He's just making one move. So I applaud him for going, much like the rest of the team, he's taking what he's done in practice and taking it into a game. Uh, now, the other thing, I was looking at the number steals. The Kings are right at the bottom of the league. There's, there's a definition for how a goaltender actually gets credited with a steal. But it's to Nick's point, because we're scoring so much, we're never in the category of a steal. <laughs> right. You can't get there because we're just, we're just to a certain extent, yeah. you, and you, but you can't. You can't say we're outscoring our problems because when you look at the numbers, yeah. There are very few problems. Yeah, everybody seems to be doing their job. I mean, not spectacular. I mean, we don't have a forward in the top 25 yes. scoring. Love it. Uh, we, we just talked about the goaltending, and the eye test is that, I mean, maybe a couple of games they've stole it. But again, scoring four or five a night, goalie doesn't need to steal a game. Limited uh, minutes, but a yeah. Jordan Spence leading a, a category in the whole league. Just, yeah. You know? So, final question, and here's my final question for you, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all is right. This, okay, is is this the Kings team that becomes the first team in franchise history 
to win 50 games. Yes. We're at 13, three and three. Quarter of the I'll, way you through. Know what? I'll say exactly what I said at the beginning of the season, which is if everything <laughs> continues to go well, sure. Um, so this last, I no, had to get that out there. This last number is not a stat, but it's mind blowing nonetheless. It's a number. Um, the website moneypuck.com, I don't know where they come up with the numbers. I don't know where they come up with the percentages, but they have what they consider to be the odds of making the playoffs. Ranked team one through 32. Ranked first in the NHL as NHL playoff odds. The LA Kings at 98.3%. The final question is, will they make the playoffs? I mean, at this point, yeah, well, if they don't, it would be an unbelievable collapse. Part of that number is what we were talking about when we started this podcast. The Pacific Division. Points to get yeah. in. In the, yeah. in the conference. In yeah. the conference. The, the yeah. gap. Yeah. yeah. The haves and have-nots. Yeah. So those have-nots have really separated themselves. So now four teams are eliminated right away. Yeah. Not even a chance. And then where maybe other conferences, other divisions don't have that. Well, Wait, right which now. Four to teams? That, <laughs> What's that? Which four teams? Uh, Vegas won't make it. Oh, <laughs> oh. all right. <laughs> and to that point, Kings play 500 the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. They'll have 92 points. Right. Crazy. So they're going to be in the mix, even if they play 500 hockey. So if they get to, and we've talked about this over the years, once you get to a certain part of the season and you've built up a point total, the other team has to play Mm -hmm. out of their heads. Well, Edmonton, like we talked about earlier, there's going to come a point, if they're not to within, let's say, six, eight points of a playoff spot, and we're talking 50 games left, It'll be tough for them. It's going to be tough. Uh, guys on the other division, mm-hmm. same conference, but the Minnesota Wild. So their start so far has, they were, when we first started, they were a top three team. Yeah. And they were going to make the playoffs be based on the top three teams in the Central. Well, right now they're not in that category. So that's another team that the Kings supposedly don't have to worry about based on the numbers. Well, and because of the way the salary cap works and the and the league works, as the season progresses, some teams that maybe might make a push or could put, take make a push, they take themselves out of it. They start selling off pieces and yeah. they call it a year. So, Jim Fox, thank you for joining uh, me. This is always a pleasure. It's always the highlight of my job. It's uh, it's. I don't think we have ever done a p- podcast with the Kings playing this well. Yeah, I mean we've no. You're well, right. so you're right. just, let me right. last question you, Nick. Okay, um, <laughs> and both of you, but I'll shoot it back at Nick. So I've been doing Kings talk this season. And recently, we've been getting a lot of people calling in, and including my dad, who texted it to me. A lot of people saying this is the best Kings team they've ever seen. That makes me intensely uncomfortable because Jim's rubbing off on me. But I don't know. Is it? Could be. That's an insane. Could be. I mean, and and going back to the question I just asked you, will this be the first team to win fifty games in a season? The Kings have never had. Okay, my son reminds me of this. They've won one division title yeah. in 56 years. Okay. Some teams have been in the league 20 years and they've won five. Mm-hmm. Regular seasons, it's never been part of the Kings' MO. Mm-hmm. Uh, playoffs since, you know, 2012, different story. And both playoff years, we didn't have great, well, 12, 13, and 14 were great playoff seasons for the Kings. Uh, uh, made it to the conference final in the year in 2013. But, you know, the regular season, they didn't win the division. They didn't win 50 games. They didn't have 120. I mean, so 
this very well could be the best regular season was, team. Was 12 a pre-cap year, right? There was no cap back then? Or was there? Yes, there was. I think in 0405, the, yeah, when we yeah, lost yeah. the whole year, that's when the cap came yeah. in. No, but there was a big difference between 12 and 14. And then after 14, when we won the second cup, something happened with the CBA. That well, the CBA, so there was a lockout in 2012. 13. Right after we won the cup, there right. was a lockout. So, so that, was that the 50% where it became 50% of I, I thought shared it was, revenue was it before that. I thought it was oh four oh five when we lost remember. the whole season. I, yeah, I, I thought, because so. that was the big thing for Bettman. We need revenue. And sharing. and Richards right. and Carter were on cap circumventing contracts that were then outlawed in two thousand thirteen. So there, there yeah. So you can't do some things now that you used to be able to do. Mm. That. That's a, you're, you're talking about the best team ever. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to go this. And please, whoever's listening, please understand where I'm coming from here. Does this team have a Jonathan Quick? No. Okay. Does this team have a righty-lefty defense pair, which they do, but are as strong as Dowdy and Voinoff and Willie Mitchell and Matt Green and Alec uh, Martinez? Martinez. No. No. Okay, okay. But it's closer than others. So so the one area I think you could make the argument is Mm -hmm. up front. With the four centermen, including Blake, and, you know, a Kevin Fiala, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's different than Dustin Brown. He's different than Andre Kopitar. He's different even to, Jeff Carter might have been in that category. I'm talking about quick strike capability. You know, you're talking about elite skills. And Carter had that at top speed when he was. So, I, I, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be as objective as possible and, I'll stick with this. When I when we started the season, I said the Kings are entering the conversation of being a contender. With the start they've had, the conversation has now maybe being led by the Kings. Yeah, but and- you know, if you want a best ever, I'm going to have to uh, wait on that one. Well, I have to interject two things, Nick. I apologize. One is, and I this is just a compulsion I have to do. None of this matters till April. This is very fun. It's a thrill. It's great. We should all be enjoying it. But if if the Kings have a season like Boston did last year or like Tampa did where they got mm-hmm. bounced by Columbus, we'll look back on these conversations and is wish fa- we deleted them. Does <laughs> the foundation not look better this year than it did last year? 100%. Did we not start the season saying this is the best roster Rob Blake has ever had as a GM? No, you did. Okay. okay. <laughs> so that's yeah. – and it should be, but, right? But because I, I just – I have to, to say it. have to say it. But now uh, – I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Second thing I want to say is, and I put it out on Twitter, um, and uh, sorry, Jim, we'll get you out of here in a second, Um, is a short phrase, and I just wrote, recipe greater than symbol ingredients, because that's, to me, what this team is. If we're talking about, is this the best we've ever seen the Kings play, I'm not going to, I don't know, I don't feel qualified, A and B, I don't know if it's even possible to go down the roster and be like, well, is Fiala better than Palfi is... Kopitar better than a younger version of Kopitar is Dowdy better than a younger version of Dowdy, but they are the way they're playing right now. I'm not sure that it was this much fun to watch this regular season team in 2014. Yeah. And I, I don't know if there has been a Kings team in recent memory where everybody has been contributing the way they have been so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't remember either. Four yeah. lines, yeah. three. I mean, your third pair of defense, the numbers are through the roof. We talked about yep. it earlier. And you've got 
two guys who are new to the team, uh, you know, in, in England and Spence, and then you've got a new goaltender. So having said that, though, we have so much balance right now. I've never seen it, Nick. I agree. Like with how much the contributions are being spread out, I. But we still have elite players too. Yeah. So that's 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 the good part where. It's, it's a great recipe. You know, and Boston, it's a great recipe, and they've got to stay healthy. Yeah. And they've got cap issues. Yeah. So yeah, that's the second uh, half. We've right? got to yeah. we've got to kind of yeah. okay. Well, that's why I said it's fun. We should be yeah, enjoying it, but right? let's not pretend you know what? we've won anything yet. Not feeling good, and I'm mm. grumpy because we're not doing well. Well, and I'm not having. I'm not in a good mood. Well, you know what? We are doing well. And yeah, I'm going to be in a good mood. Should be. <laughs> I'm going to be happy. You about should this be. Group. I've been in a good mood this whole time, guys. I'm always in a good mood there with you, you Jess. Well, I'm there you go. <laughs> Nick Nixon, Jim Fox. Thank you guys for joining me, Kings fans. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.